Namaste. It's beautiful to see all of you radiant divine beings. And especially wonderful that you've come to help us celebrate this wonderful moment. To me, what's important is not the acquisition of the land, although the land is beautiful, and the permaculture projects of raising food in an ecologically sustainable manner and uh, living together harmoniously. All of those are wonderful, but if we do not have the spiritual core of dedicated yogis who are truly willing and able uh, to transcend the ego and live in love with one another, then the community will not sustain and complete its project. And so the, the core is the spiritual dimension of our work. And as you all know, I'm sure, uh, it goes quite against the grain of this time period to be building a monastery. You know, the Catholics can't find monks anymore for their monasteries. They're all going out of business. And the same is happening in nearly every other of the old spiritual traditions, whether it's Taoist or Buddhist or Hindu, the ashrams, the, the uh, spiritual retreats of the old type are falling away, losing their credibility, their integrity, the interest of people in leading a life devoted to contemplation of God and a life of what has been called blessed simplicity. And yet, because of all of that, and because of the hyperactivity of the modern world and the disappointment that we all have come to feel about the projects of the modern age and of science itself as having led to a dead end and to the destruction of our ecosystem and to the unsustainability of the modern way of life. There is a new interest, there's a new wave of interest in creating spiritual communities in the world. But somehow we have to put the old wine into a new bottle that makes it attractive to the modern mind. It's the same wine. We can't change the wine because that's God's. Uh, <clears throat> but we can change the form in some ways that enable us to integrate the great knowledge that has come to us in the modern age of, from all of the disciplines, the sciences, the understanding even of the human soul, the psyche, from the work of psychoanalysis and Jungian analysis and transpersonal psychology and semiotics and uh, biosemiotics and the, the different fields of understanding of uh, sociology and how we create harmonious communities. There's a lot of knowledge that's, that's out there today. Uh, but it all has to be integrated and put into effect in a way that enables us to create living communities that can withstand the downward pull of the ego that wants to maintain its own pseudo-autonomy. And this is a great ambitious project to try to do something like this. But I think that there is a hunger for it in the world. Uh, but it has to be a different kind of ashram or monastery than the type that people have in their minds 
where people live very boring existence, praying all day and uh, doing things that are ritualistic in nature and reading sacred texts that have lost their interest for most people. There has to be a new way in to the spiritual dimension of our lives. And that's what this school uh, is intent on offering, a way in that's actually very exciting, very fascinating, and that will lead to a far more interesting way of living than what is offered in basically this very superficial world uh, that keeps us far too busy to find our own center, far too much in the gerbil cage of trying to keep up with mortgages and the other demands of modern life. And without having a foundation in the spiritual dimension, without having developed our capacity even uh, for meditation or even to love, And so many people have a very stunted level of psychological growth and from which we have to go out and try to lead a life that has more demands and obligations and responsibilities than ever in the past. And so people are literally collapsing under the weight of all of this. And without spiritual guidance, without training in meditation, without principles and values for leading a life, Uh, in a way that will be both mature, responsible, giving, and able to withstand the adversities that life forces us to face will often lead to devastation, collapse of marriages, collapse of professional activities, collapse of our lives, and lostness, and alienation. And this leads to suicidal tendencies and despair. And the world is filled with such despair today. I'm sure all of you know people who are in despair if you're not in it yourselves. And so we have to find a way out that's authentic, that's not simply popping a pill or smoking a certain chemical or uh, trying to get out through some inauthentic manner that will only lead to another addiction, another dependency, uh, another weakening of our soul rather than finding the true strength that comes from real realization of our, call it our Buddha nature, our Christ consciousness, the great Tao, the infinite light within, whatever name you wish to give. The names have become a a barrier and have created a kind of fear of sectarianism. So our approach here is very secular and it's open uh, to anyone from any spiritual background. And we don't focus on whatever name you have for the ultimate reality because it's beyond any name or any dogma or any creed. It's a matter of realization. And that realization can only happen when the mind is in silence. And so that's why meditation is the central act that forms the core of a spiritual life. But how do you meditate? One of our... uh, Inspirations is uh, the great sage of 20th century India, Sri Ramana Maharshi, whose picture is on the wall in the back. And someone asked him, uh, what's the best asana in order to reach liberation? And, and he laughed because asanas are the physical exercises that are current today as, the, as what yoga means to people today. Uh, had nothing to do with his path at all, and nor were asanas of the physical kind part of yoga in its classical form. It's a very recent 
addition or deviation, some would even say, from classical yoga, which is of the mind, jnana yoga, the yoga of the knowledge of the supreme reality that leads to the meditative realization. And he said, uh, the best asana is nididhyasana. And this is a, a pun in Sanskrit. It literally means uh, one-pointedness. Well, if you can attain one-pointedness, you're already there. Okay. The problem is that most people can't do it. Most people who sit to meditate have a very hard time silencing the mind, right? So, it seems to me that before we learn one-pointedness, we have to master two-pointedness. So that's what we propose here, is, is become a master of two-pointedness. It's much easier, and it works. Now, what is two-pointedness? Let me give you a, a, a famous joke that comes from the monastic world. These two monks who were in a, a Catholic monastery who hadn't given up their addiction to smoking cigarettes were hiding behind the chapel and talking to each other about, what do you think if we... Can we ask the abbot to let us smoke in, in public so we don't have to hide and do it in secret? And they were arguing whether the abbot would let him do it. And they said, well, let's give it a try. You know, we, it can't hurt. So the first one goes into the abbot and uh, comes out depressed, shaking his head. And uh, the second monk said, well, what did you ask me? And he said, well, I, I asked him, uh, is it okay to smoke while, while praying? And the abbot said, no, that's absurd, ridiculous, blasphemy, get out of here. Second monk goes in, talks to the abbot, comes out, thumbs up, lights a cigarette. The guy can't believe it, he's allowed to do it. And he said, what did you ask the abbot? He said, well, I said, is it okay to uh, pray while smoking? <laughs> yeah, you can pray while smoking. Of course you can, you should pray all the time. So... It depends on how you ask the question. So in the same way, if you ask, is it okay to think while meditating? No, of course not. But is it okay to meditate while thinking? Yes. That's okay. You should meditate all the time, even while thinking. So that's two-pointedness. You won't stop the mind from thinking, but meditate while your mind is thinking. That's the key. And then there's no... Obstacle. There's no conflict between this thinking mind and this meditating mind. And what happens eventually is that the mind that's thinking realizes that its thoughts are not nearly as interesting as the bliss that's going on in the meditative part of the mind. And, and it begins to stop disseminating its uh, awareness and attention into the future or the past and says, well, wait a minute, maybe I want to be present too and get some of this energy that's coming from the meditative core. And so if your primary intention is the meditation, let the thinking happen. And gradually that thinking ego will surrender because it doesn't want to miss out on the beautiful experience of divine love that's happening in the meditative core of your being. And then literally your smoking will become a prayer. And the mind will start smoking something different. It'll get it much higher and eventually the mind will dissolve in the light. And so that's what we do here, is we, we don't have a conflict with the thinking mind, but we bring ourselves back to the question, whose mind is it that's doing the thinking? And that brings us to the core that is silent and that is present. And that silent core, which is always 
untouched by the desires and the fears and the anxieties and the depression of the thinking layer of the mind is, is always blissful. Right now, at this very moment, all of you are in bliss. But because you're more focused on the mind that's thinking and the mind that's identified with the body rather than the core of consciousness, you're not aware of the bliss that's here. But it's here now. You don't have to do anything to find it. You just have to stop running away from it into the outer layers of your consciousness. So the path is very easy. And the more time that one spends in the blissful core, the more that the tendency of the mind to take you away from that core and to create artificial problems in your life will dissolve. And you'll be in the present. And in the present, everything is fine. Everything is perfect. It's only the mind that creates the illusion of imperfection and dissatisfaction and desires for what you don't have. But when you're in the core of your being, you realize you have everything already. You don't need anything or anyone or any situation to bring about happiness. When you're in that state, the energy rushes up from the core of your being and fills not only your own body, but it's transmitted out to whomever you're with. And it creates a harmonious divine entanglement of one spirit with another, one Atman with another. And from one being being lit up by these higher vibrations, others will be lit up like the proverbial Christmas tree. And gradually the whole world will be lit up with this divine light. This is taught in quantum physics. This is entanglement. We're all one large entangled mind. We think we're separate minds, but each of our minds are connected with every other mind in the universe. And so when we create an ashram, we're creating an entangled energy field that is like a, a metaphor used in ancient India called the net of Indra, where there's this wonderful net that is the whole universe and that at the corner of each uh, point where the the nettings meet, there's a pearl, a beautiful jewel that reflects every other jewel within itself. It's really the holographic paradigm before that word existed. And it was recognized that that indeed is the structure of the universe, that each one of us is a microcosm that contains the entire universe and every being within it. And if we will be in our meditative core, we will realize that oneness with all beings. And there will be no more conflicts, no more antagonisms, no more alienation. And the purpose and the meaning of our lives will become available to us. It will appear to us spontaneously from within, from the realization of this ultimate reality that we are. It will not be something that the ego has to artificially invent And the creativity will arise from our hearts that will guide us in our lives in an effortless way to open up the flower of our being to the sun of the divine presence. And we will create again a a paradise, a heaven on earth, instead of this closed, defended, hellish realm that we've turned our world into. And so an ashram is simply that practice 
and the fulfillment of the desire to live a life with other beings who want to also live in openness, not in defensiveness, and to share the beauty of life at the highest level with one another. And so our school is about how to learn to make this a reality and then how to guide others to make it a reality, to get rid of their defense mechanisms that keep them closed, both from others and from the light within. And as we get a larger and larger energy field, gradually we will reach a point where the threshold of energy reaches critical mass and the entire world is lit up. This is the hundredth monkey theory, but let's call it the hundredth yogi theory. And when there are enough yogis, whether it's a hundred or a thousand, uh, wherever they are in the world who are resonating at this level of divine love, the world will transform. It's not about the absolute numbers. It's about the amount of energy that we are radiating of pure love. And we think that Costa Rica will be a center of this new culture of divine love. It's one of the few demilitarized nations in the world and with a population with this kind of a, a beautiful desire for a peaceful life, a pura vida, that is disseminating that vision into the world today. It's one of the few places in which this is possible to do. And we're not the only community in Costa Rica that's doing this, or certainly around the world. And we want to, and we've already begun to create links to other communities. We want to have a mutually supportive grid of communities that are all doing this and sharing together the different wisdom and knowledge that we have, both about permaculture and living sustainably on the land and about the spiritual and psychological dimensions of our reality so that we can create a knowledge base that is shareable, that will help everyone reach their ultimate realization and transform the planet in this time of crisis. The only way out is through this inner transformation. It won't happen on a political or social level without the inner realization and willingness to let go of the negativity that we've been holding on to. And that act is the most revolutionary act that you can perform. And it will bring you in connection with all of the other beings, the great sages and saints who are here on the earth today, the avatars who are working secretly, silently, together to create such a new world. And we are part of a cosmic community. There are beings from other worlds who are here. We are not the only ones. It's not just human beings. And we are part of a much larger cosmic community than most of us have any idea of. But that too will be revealed in the fullness of time. And we want to link with the divine spark in all beings and in all of nature, all of the animals, the plants, all of, all of the world. Everything is consciousness. Everything is alive. Everything is a part of the mind of God, you could say. We are all part of that. And the more we let go of the walls in which we're trying to maintain a separate pseudo-existence, the more that we will be supported and nurtured by these supreme energies. So I hope you will join in this process of mutual nourishment of divine love through the realization of your true self. 
and our community is here to serve you in that effort.